and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about building and managing calcium and sulfur in your soils. Now, calcium and sulfur are two completely different nutrients. They move in the soil differently. They do different things. So we'll talk about those a little bit throughout the show today. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on in your farm, we'd love to talk to you. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. And our phone lines will be open throughout the show today. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a little bit. But right now, I guess I'll just start you out with a few things on calcium and sulfur. First of all, calcium. Probably the biggest thing that I visit with people about in regards to calcium is one of two things. It's either, hey, my soil pH is low, and then I'm going to say add calcium, basically lime, calcium carbonate, and that will raise the pH. Or two, if we see the calcium is low regardless of the pH, we want that calcium number over 65% on a base saturation test because then that tells us we have a little bit better soil porosity. So those are the two biggest things we usually discuss. And by soil porosity, let me let me put it to you this way. They're the two predominant nutrients that you're going to have in your soil are usually calcium and magnesium. Now, you might not have a lot of magnesium if you have a sandy soil, okay? But in a heavy soil, calcium and magnesium are one and two. So when you think about the ratio of those two nutrients, what we want is, is quite a bit of calcium, especially in heavy soil, because magnesium is a very small molecule. Because it's so small, what ends up happening is if you have a lot of magnesium in that soil, you end up with poor drainage, you don't get much air down in there, you don't have good soil porosity, nothing. It just, it doesn't work. Whereas when you have a fair amount of calcium in there, there's a lot of pore space because basically it's a big molecule. So the example I always give is, let's say you're in a room and you fill that room floor to ceiling with basketballs and you're inside the room. Are you still able to breathe? Yes, you can. And it's because there's air that's able to move through in between those basketballs. Okay, so that's basically how I think about calcium all the time. We want to have good pore space in that soil to allow air to get in and to allow water to go through. Anyway, on the other hand, when we go to sulfur, sulfur we really focus on as basically a nutrient for the crop. Calcium, yes, it's absolutely a nutrient for the crop and it's needed in a fairly big amount. So both calcium and sulfur are considered secondary nutrients. You got the primary nutrients, N, P, and K, but the secondary nutrients are calcium, magnesium, sulfur. And those are the ones that are needed in pretty big quantities, but not nearly as big as the N, P, and K, at least for most crops. Anyway, with sulfur, the challenge with sulfur is that it's leachable. Now, they say that sulfur, or sulfate especially, is the leachable form, is about half as leachable as nitrate. So it's going to move out of your soil at about half the rate of nitrate. So if you have a very light soil, your sulfur is not going to be held there very long. But the thing you can do with sulfur is you can use the elemental sulfur form rather than the sulfate form. And I know I'm getting kind of down in the weeds here a little bit, but uh, the 
basic difference is this. Sulfate is available right now for your crop. It's more leachable. And so I think about that a lot like I do nitrate. Nitrate's available today, uh, but it's leachable. On the other hand, you've got ammonium nitrogen that's not leachable and um, it is actually still available today. But with sulfur, you have elemental sulfur, and the plant isn't typically going to use that. It's going to have to convert over to sulfate. So when when we talk about elemental sulfur, if you use enough elemental sulfur, you can actually lower the soil pH a little bit. So we'll probably get into that a little bit later in the show today, too, just talking about sulfur. But anyway, yeah, calcium and sulfur, two very different nutrients, but two very important things for your crop. Calcium probably even more so for your soil than your crop, but I look at that as, hey, if I don't have a good soil, basically a good base, then I can't raise a great crop anyway. Uh, With the sulfur, again, that's more just fertilizing for the needs of that particular crop. So anyway, lots of things to talk about with calcium and sulfur. We'll get into that throughout the show today, but right now let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, this one comes from Ben in Pennsylvania, and he said, uh, we have standing corn yet in our fields, and we're starting to think about next year. We really want to soil test ASAP, but we're not sure how to account for post-harvest residue. When do you soil test, and how do you account for all the corn stalks laying out on the ground? You don't. Don't even worry about it. So there will be some nutrients that are going to come out of that, but we, we uh, let's put it this way. If you get a soil test and then you have nutrients that are breaking down, releasing into the soil, whatever, or organic matter mineralizing, that's awesome. And we like that, but it's just uh, above and beyond what the soil test is going to show. So anyway, yes, you're always going to have some of that because there isn't going to be your organic matter is constantly breaking down over time. And there's always going to be some amount of residue out there that's going to break down as well. But when you test that residue, it's not like there are ridiculously huge amounts of nutrients in that residue. So I'm not that worried about it, especially when we get this late in the season, because the longer that residue stands out there as standing crop, when it gets rain or anything, I mean, it's deteriorating all the time and there are nutrients coming out of it all the time. So no, I'm really not that worried about it. If you want to test now, if you want to test in a couple weeks, whatever, I bet your results are not going to be all that much different. Thanks for the question, Ben. Really appreciate that. Good luck here finishing up harvest. I know it's been a real challenge. I just happened to talk to somebody in Pennsylvania today who was talking about how muddy it was in some of those fields. And, you know, it's part of the reason that we're we're talking about calcium on our show today. We'll be right back uh, discussing calcium and sulfur in soils right after this. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. 
If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, our topic is building and managing calcium and sulfur in your soils. Now, we can take those individually. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the same time because you may be saying, wait a minute, calcium, sulfur. You're talking about gypsum today. Not necessarily. We're talking about two different nutrients in our soil. One that sticks around, one that leaches. And so that's a little bit of a challenge, but both very important for the crop. So our phone lines will be open throughout the show if you want to call in and join the discussion at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Western Iowa. We've got our friend Kelly Garrett with us right now with the Extreme Ag Group. Kelly, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Darren? Not too bad. Okay, so of these two nutrients, let's start with calcium first. In your part of Iowa, do you find that soils are high in calcium, or is this something that you've got to be adding? It's a huge challenge because our soils are very high in calcium, but it is not available to the plant. So it causes me a lot of headaches. Yeah, that's the frustrating one when you say, oh, yeah, we've got tons of it out there. Because whenever we talk about calcium, Kelly, I'll be honest, we get a lot of feedback from listeners that say, I've got too much calcium. What are you guys talking about? But you made the comment there, it's not available when you've got such high levels of calcium. How can that be, Kelly? And how do you know this to be true? So in the middle of June, the agronomist, Jason Sly, that we work with at Extreme Ag, told me he'd looked at Oh, shoot, just dropped Kelly's call here. By the way, if you don't know Kelly, he lives in a pretty hilly region on the west side of Iowa. And everybody thinks, oh, Iowa's this beautiful, flat farm ground. Every field's flat and square and fully pattern tiled. Uh, I'll tell you, that is not the truth. I, I've actually been to Kel Kelly's place, and, uh, boy, there we, we've got a little bit of elevation change on our farm, but uh Kelly and his crew definitely have got some battles there with, with some huge uh, variations in 
topography across his farm. And and I can see when Kelly said we got too much calcium out there. Uh, Kelly, we dropped your call there. Sorry. I don't know if that was on your end. I'm assuming. I'm assuming you're probably in the hills of Iowa, but uh, we got you back now. Standing right here in the shop. It's the cell, poor cell phone service that we have. But, yeah, so – in the middle of June, is what I was saying, we, had, we talked with Jason Sly, I did, about all the tissue samples. And he looked at over 8,000 of them. And the number one nutrient that we are lacking is calcium. And that is very, that's true, that's very true of my soils. Uh, my base saturation of calcium can be up in the 80s. And you ideally would like it to be at 65. And it ties up my phosphorus. It causes base saturation problems with my potassium, making it unavailable. But yet the calcium is not available to the plant. And one of my focuses for next year is to find a way, a calcium product that I can spray in a foliar application or things like that. Uh, But we're, we're really trying to work on that as we try to find that terrific balance that we search for. Yeah, it's a challenge, and and I just picked up some ground this year, uh, Kelly, that we're going to be working on uh, starting mostly next spring, but we did get soil samples pulled on it this fall, and just got some back today. Guess what I need to add? Calcium. So I, I said, well, at least I'm not excess in anything. That's a lot harder challenge. So what you're talking about too high a calcium level is a lot harder to work with than low because low you can always add some how about sulfur that's one that we're always adding and i know you're really pushing for top yields and and trying to to get the most out of your nitrogen so i'm assuming sulfur is one you guys have been playing with the rates on a little bit and trying on different crops yes we we push a lot of sulfur our main source of sulfur is the byproduct that I get. I call it plant food from the liquid uh, feed industry. And 500 gallons of my byproduct has 100 pounds of elemental sulfur. And the reason we're so excited about that amount is because we use that to solubilize the calcium in our soil and bring our base saturation into balance for the year to release, uh, to release the nutrients. And we'll have a 40-bushel side-by-side yield bump from plant food in corn in a 20 bushel and soybeans in extreme areas where that bit where that calcium is very high in our soils that's how important sulfur is so i think your conversation and talking about the two of them together they very much are married when you're trying to balance your soils and reach your potential i know for some of our soils that are that are pretty tough to to get calcium or i'm sorry to get potassium to build up in uh we've we've really partnered with the sulfur to to try to open up some of those spots and and get things to move but we need drainage to make that happen you've got just some extreme topography there and I, maybe it's not your whole farm kelly but man you got a, a couple of your fields i don't we don't farm anything that steep so how do you work with it on on ground like that we're 100 percent no-till and uh you know, the liquid product that we spray or it just, it takes more time. My dad says, if you can see more than 25 acres from any one spot, we can't afford it. So this is the only ground that we farm <laughs> because it's all we know. <laughs> well, that's, that's probably a little bit accurate there, at least for a while. Uh, I don't know so much about today necessarily, but, uh, but you're right. When you can't see very far, it probably isn't selling for those, uh, $20,000, $30,000 crazy prices. That's right. That's right. But yeah, we uh, we push a lot of sulfur because and everybody thinks about sulfur as a soil amendment or pardon me, as fertility. To me, it's soil amendment first and fertility second. And, you know, there'll be a lot of times I don't have what I would consider enough sulfur in my tissue samples. And I believe that's because it gets tied up in the soil, amending that base saturation problem. 
Okay, you mentioned your back to the calcium discussion. You mentioned you're looking for a good foliar calcium product that you could add in crop. What about in furrow stuff? Have you tried anything uh, at, at those early timings, and you just haven't had results because of what's going on in the soil? We had we had a new extreme egg sponsor this year, Agrotech. It's a European company that's wanting to make a bigger footprint in the United States. They have a product called Extricate that went in furrow, it's a biological, and their, their claim is it will make the calcium like 26 times more available. So we don't have all quite all the trial data done from that yet, but we're really excited about that product. And AgroLiquid is another extreme egg sponsor, and they have a product, Liberate CA, which is a calcium product that will mix better with, with other things. You know, the problem is, Finding a cal- you, can fo- you can go find a calcium product, but you almost have to make a separate pass because it just won't mix well with the other things in the tank. And my goal is to find something to eliminate making another pass. And Liberate CA and Extricate are the two products that I'm concentrating on, but I'm open to finding others if I find something. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, you got to keep your eyes open for, for different opportunities out there because you're right. It doesn't all happen with one company. There, there's going to be somebody else that comes up with something. Um, now, when you're looking at these soil tests, you mentioned that that you're putting on a hundred pounds of elemental sulfur in every five hundred gallons. Do you notice that building up on soil tests, or is that just moving right through the soil and and doing its thing? No, it moves through the soil. It doesn't. It, it's not here. And, and Mother Nature uh, continually outworks us, and that sulfur is gone. It, it ties up with the magnesium, it ties up with the calcium, and it's, it's not there. Our, our soils are not, they don't, they're not building with sulfur at all uh, because, and my, because we can't outwork Mother Nature. If you don't have access to elemental sulfur, I would suggest ammonium sulfate. Yeah, there's a lot of different sources out there when we're talking about calcium. Obviously, there's a number of different calcium products and and sulfur. There's just tons of products out there that that carry some sulfur in there. But uh, definitely two really important things to to look at in the soil. So, Kelly, you guys all wrapped up with harvest. What's happening now on the farm? Yeah, we're all wrapped up with harvest. Uh, We had a bit of rain here, so the anhydrous was shut down for a while. But we just fired up here after lunch anhydrousing. Uh, all the, the plant food rigs are going, spraying the byproduct. There's four or five of those running today and, and uh, taking care of the cows. Outstanding. Well, it's always busy on the Garrett farm, no doubt about that. Kelly, thanks for taking a little time to talk to us today. Thank you, Darren. All right, we're talking about calcium and sulfur on today's program. And, and yeah, I like how Kelly tied that together that, boy, there's there's really kind of a marriage there. They've got high levels of calcium, and they're utilizing sulfur to try to help with nutrient availability and crop production, and they're certainly winning. Kelly is, has done a fantastic job with some really high yields coming off that farm that has, has its challenges with, with uh, some pretty steep hills out there, no doubt. We're going to talk more about calcium and more about sulfur on today's program. We're also going to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag as we go along here. If you want to send a question in, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. And you can always give us a call as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools. 
gives you another Carfentra zone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5 ec a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection can help. Tough 5 ec synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5 ec to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 ec or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Well, you might have guessed it already. We're talking about calcium and sulfur on today's Ag PhD radio show and... We've got the great Neil Kinsey to join us as well. Uh, it, what a great Ag PhD show, and we can bring Neil on as well. Neil, thanks for being here. I'm here. Hey, Neil. All right, so we're talking about calcium and we're talking about sulfur today, and wouldn't you wouldn't you know it, the first person that we talked to on the show today says, man, I have too much calcium, and I'm struggling. It's not available. It's showing up deficient in my tissue samples. Is that a common thing? Do you see a lot of soils with just too much calcium? Well, we do see, it is a common thing. We see a lot of soils with too much calcium, but that may not be the reason the calcium is not showing up in the plant. Okay. Uh, one, other, one thing that people need to take a look at is the first thing, if you're missing calcium in your plant, whether you have too much 
or just enough. And we'll have some people that have just the right amounts of calcium still not getting the calcium out of the plant. Look and see where your boron level is because calcium gets everything else into the plant, but it doesn't get itself in. We need boron to get the calcium in. Well, and it's funny that you bring that one up, too. We, we see so many soil tests where boron is really deficient. And, you know, we're blessed. We've got heavy soils. We don't get too much rainfall. We've got lots of organic matter. And we can hold on to some boron on our farm in the west here. But the guys in the east coast, man, light soils, lots of rain. This is a constant challenge. So it, does that mean just keep at the boron all through the season? If you If you let up, you're going to start missing out on calcium? Keep at it does mean keep at the boron for several reasons. Uh, uh, in order to get enough calcium in, uh, yes, uh, but even if uh, you have plenty of calcium there, keep on that bor- keep keep that boron above zero point eight parts per million if at all possible. And you have to be careful, yes, because boron can be toxic to growing plants, and we have some places that it's always a struggle. The lighter the sands generally and the more rainfall we have, the harder it is. But if you're not adding boron and you get a lot of rainfall in a year and and are counting on what's naturally coming from the humus and so forth, if you don't have 5% humus, uh, uh, this is just a generalization. Uh, Some people may have 4% humus, still have plenty of boron coming there to take care of their minimum needs. But what we find is uh, don't mean to get off away from calcium nope, that nope, much. No problem. If you don't have enough boron, we got to get the calcium on there, or I mean, got to get the boron on there. The calcium is not going to get into the plant. Yeah, that's a great and way to should. start. That's a great way to start. And I know Kelly was saying, "Man, I got high calcium. I'm still struggling here." And I, I know Kelly's adding boron out there. I know he's struggling on the boron side too. So uh, that that's something he's certainly doing. Now, when when we're looking at calcium, Neil, you mentioned it gets the other nutrients into the plant. That's one of the reasons it's so important. But it seems like it's got a structural component out there too in the soil in terms of if we've got good calcium levels, we've got good porosity. That is exactly uh, what uh, a note that I had here to be sure we made today. Calcium is considered a secondary nutrient for the crop, but when it comes down to the soil, calcium is the primary nutrient for uh, nutrient uptake in the soil, yes, but also for soil health and for porosity, getting the, the soil porous enough so the water can get in and out and so that the nutrients can move down in that soil. Yeah, that that is a big one, and I know we've we've sure seen that. We've heard you talking about balancing out that calcium and the magnesium, getting the magnesium so it's high enough but not too high, and the same with the calcium. And when you hit that that fine number there, where you get them both in in line and in balance, you, there's just nothing holding you back on crops now, other than yourself. You just got to keep up with the fertility you need for for what's going on for that plant and what crop you're raising. We we get so many different crops that, that we get questions on. And, and obviously, Neil, you, you've been consulting on a lot of different crops and a lot of different soil types for a long time. Is calcium kind of the number one? Is that where it just starts when you get a new field? As far as, I'm, as, far as uh, what I would say, for the money spent, calcium gives you the most benefit and it lasts the longest of any of the others. In other words, you get it straightened out and... If you don't uh, start doing anything to drive it out, then generally you're going to get somewhere between five and ten years benefit out of it. So it turns out to be very economical, 
But on the other hand, uh, if you need nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, or sulfur, and you don't put at least enough there to get the minimum that's required to grow that crop, and you put the calcium on, the calcium's still not the most limiting factor. The the other four will be. I've had people correct the calcium before and neglect putting on sulfur. And they said, we spent all that money on calcium, but we didn't get a return. Well, the sulfur in that case was more limiting than the calcium was. Yeah, so, it's, it's really important uh, to, to feed your crop that you're going to have this year and feed it well. There's no doubt about that. And I love one thing that you said, Neil, and maybe this is where you're going with this. But uh, So I just picked up a new piece of ground. I've got some pH that's down in the low fives, to upper fours. I know I need to add some lime out there, and, and part of it is my calcium is really low. So I'm going to be adding that calcium out there, but I can't put out this calcium that's going to benefit someone else for many years if I go broke uh, trying to throw everything at it in one year. So I got to be smart about, hey, I got to feed the crop with the NPK, sulfur, and even micronutrients that I need for this year too. And that's something that we really need to be careful about uh, when adding calcium. It's not just a magic uh, situation there in that Calcium, when you put it on, if you have any other nutrient that's just barely, barely adequate, the calcium is probably going to cause it to be deficient. So this is the other side of this coin. If you've got barely enough zinc and you put on calcium, that calcium is going to reduce the availability of the zinc in that soil. Now, as a general rule, it's better to put the calcium on if you, as long as you can stay above the, the bare minimum that's required uh, but if you put on calcium and you're at 6.2 and you put on enough lime to drive it down to 5.8, then uh, that's likely going to cause you some problem in a sensitive crop like corn. So it's always, it's always a good idea to know where your other levels are so that you're not going to hurt yourself. And that just goes from one, that goes from one nutrient to the other. Too much of any one is going to cause a problem. All right. Our other nutrient we were talking about today is sulfur. And when I think about sulfur, Neil, I I know we need to put some on pretty much every year with almost every crop. But there's so much focus when I talk to farmers that, well, I put that on in the corn side of my rotation, but I don't put it on on the other crops. Are are we missing something there? Can you put enough on on the corn that you could get by for a year or two without doing it? Or is this something that pretty much every time you're going to have to put on? Most of the time... When we look at sulfur levels, even when we put on more than enough, within about 12 months of the time it's applied, it's going to be that that soil is going to be deficient again. Uh, We just can't get sulfur to hold in those soil. It's not supposed to. Sulfur's supposed to move through. It's an anion. It moves through not quite as fast as nitrate, but you got to watch out for that and don't make the assumption that because I put it on for my crop this year, I'm going to have enough for the next year. If you run a soil test and show it's there, that's fine. But many times when you run a soil test and show sulfur's there, it's because we got a compaction layer somewhere. There's an impediment there, and the water's not moving through. And if, if that be the case, the sulfur and the boron both tend to build up. So we'll have some clients that will say, well, i got good sulfur levels and i got good boron levels. And then they break up the hard pan, and all of a sudden it's not there anymore. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, it's a it's a tough system. There's all these th- all these factors that go into it, and and I know every time we have you on, Neil, we have so many people saying, "Man, where can I, I hear more from Neil? Where can I learn more?" Well, Neil's going to be here uh, on our farm at the Morton Center coming up in February, February twenty second, twenty third, and twenty fourth. You can go to agphd.com to learn more and and get signed up if you'd like to come see Neil in person. Uh, Neil, always great talking to you. And whenever we talk about calcium, I'm always a little nervous because I, I know about every time I hear you, you say, well, it might take a whole day to get through the whole uh, the whole calcium <laughs> talk. And you're right. There, there are just so many different factors there. Neil, look forward to seeing you in February and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Darren. Uh, same here. We're talking calcium and we're talking sulfur on today's Ag PhD radio program. And we also have our phone lines open. If you have a question or an agronomic topic you'd like to discuss, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com slash soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com slash soy. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, 
This is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide. Brand new chemistry. Three no-excuse modes of action. Zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Martin studio today, just talking through building and managing calcium and sulfur in your soils. So one of the questions we get quite often is elemental sulfur, because we'll occasionally discuss the use of elemental sulfur and the possibility of lowering soil pH. So let's put it this way. When you read in some gardening magazines, occasionally you'll run across an article saying, oh boy, I used X amount of pounds and it lowered my soil pH. And you know what? We've done that even on our own farm. But here's the thing. In the conversion of elemental sulfur over to sulfate, that's naturally going to happen in your soil, it takes bacteria to do that. And bacteria don't do well if you don't have oxygen. So here's my point. What ends up happening if you don't have good drainage, let's say you have a heavy soil and your pH is 8, and you go, well, I heard that I can just throw elemental sulfur out there and it's going to solve all my problems. Look, it might help, but if you don't take care of the drainage first, you don't have air in that soil, the bacteria don't do their job, and all of a sudden this elemental sulfur through this process doesn't turn to hydrogen sulfate, uh, like it should, which is basically sulfuric acid, and that'll lower the pH. It'll turn to hydrogen sulfide, and your soil's going to smell like rotten eggs. And we don't want your soil smelling like rotten eggs, and we don't want you wasting a bunch of money on sulfur. And so my point is, fix the drainage first. The other thing that we commonly find in high pH soils is lots of sulfur already. So why would you want to add any more? I'd just say this, if you're considering trying to lower your soil's pH, send us your soil test and let's take a look at it and see if we think the use of sulfur could help you or not. But what what happens a lot of times in these high pH soils is there's poor drainage. Because there's poor drainage, then we just have a buildup of a whole bunch of things in the soil. Could be, uh, in addition to the sulfur that I mentioned, there could be a buildup of sodium and that could be raising the pH. Maybe you have excessive magnesium levels. I don't know what it is, but all I know is you need to fix the drainage issue. When you take care of that, then eventually your sulfate's going to leach away because if I'm seeing 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 parts per million of sulfur, that tells me immediately I got a drainage problem or I put on one ridiculous amount of sulfur, which probably uh, is not going to happen, at least on most farms. All right, so anyway, sulfur is a really important nutrient for plants, but one of the problems we see in most soils is lack of sulfur, and here's why. Because growing up on the farm, I'll just tell you, we heard from our dad and our grandpa and other people, uh, the older farmers back when we were young about, okay, you need NP and K. We honestly, I don't know if we ever talked about micronutrients and I know we never talked about sulfur, but when you think back a generation or two ago, we had much dirtier air. We have pretty clean air today. Well, in this air years ago, there was a lot of sulfur in many areas. And in some countries today and around some cities, there still is a fair amount of sulfur. So I get that, that, hey, we might have sulfur raining down from the sky. I remember reading when I was a kid about acid rains. Well, what was creating the acid? It was sulfur. Well, if I'm getting free sulfur every time it rains, that's awesome. 
as a farmer anyway, maybe not for your air and what you breathe, but I'm just saying today we don't have the, the sulfur raining down from the sky, number one. Number two, we have much higher yield goals. So we need a lot more, more sulfur than we used to. And three, like I said earlier, sulfur is leachable. So it's not like, oh, I'll just throw some sulfur out there and I'm good for the next 20 years. It doesn't work that way. So anyway, we just really encourage you, take a look at sulfur on your farm and those sulfur needs because it could be something that is really important and you, you probably don't need lots, but you need a little bit every year and you're going to have higher yields. One other thing, uh, going back to the calcium and the other side of this whole discussion, I, I guess that I, I just wanted to mention is we, we want you looking at that base saturation test in addition to your calcium parts per million. And the base saturation test is not on all soil tests. So make sure that you're requesting a base saturation test. All the base saturation is is a ratio of five nutrients to each other. It's calcium, magnesium, sodium, hydrogen, and uh, let's see what am I missing there, Darren. Calcium, magnesium, sodium, hydrogen, potassium. Good grief. The most important one. The one I talk <laughs> about literally all the time. I'm like... How like, can well, I of course you said potassium that? first, didn't you? Yeah, I, I must be uh, must be losing <laughs> it. Anyway, so the the reason why you want that is so you have an idea what the percentage is because if you don't get that test, and it's very simple, they can run a calculation, but if you don't get that, you just look at your soil test and and they're going to in in next to your calcium and your magnesium, they might just put high. Oh, it's high. And then so naturally as a farmer, when we see a test that says high, well, we assume, well, we're good. We have no problems, right? So number one, you still might not have enough calcium, even if it says high, because we want that number for sure above 65%. So we, we have good soil porosity, especially in a heavy soil. Uh, but then the other thing is, like Neil Kinsey was talking about a little bit earlier, you need some boron out there. You, basically, you need other nutrients. It's not just about any one nutrient. A lot of times there's this balance issue that we have in soil, and there's an issue of, hey, if, we, if we're missing something else, then we don't get this nutrient into the plant. So very commonly in our high calcium soils, we do talk about boron. We do talk about sulfur. So there are other nutrients that are important in helping get these things into the plant. And uh, even like Kelly Garrett was talking earlier with the extricate product and trying to get some of that calcium available. Uh, we've had Dick Goff on the show many times, and he's talked about calcium availability and having problems even in high calcium soils. So again, it's, it's not ever just focusing on any one nutrient. We want to look at all of them. And so, again, if you're looking for more information on any of these nutrients and, and reading a soil test, balancing the soil, all that kind of stuff, we'd encourage you to attend a couple of events this winter. So one, Darren mentioned a little earlier, Neil Kinsey will be here at the Morton Center right on our farm. And by the way, we can hold about 1,000 farmers in the Morton Center, get a fantastic facility right at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. Anyway, February 22nd through the 24th. But... If you want to come a month earlier, we've got a two-day soils clinic. So we'll, we'll run through how to read a soil test, make your own recommendations, and we'll have about 50 soils agronomists there as well to answer your questions and look at your soil tests. So if you want to bring your soil test to us, 
Uh, we'd love to take a look at them, and and Darren and I will be able to look at a lot of them. But uh, but if not, we'll have a whole bunch of trained soils agronomists there as well to answer any of your questions and look through your soil tests. So anyway, you can go to agphd.com to learn more about those two events uh, for the Ag PhD Soils Clinic when that's just Darren and me. We're not charging anything. It's completely free. Uh, Neil's event does cost some money, uh, but you can go to agphd.com and learn more about that. Okay, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. What you got over there, Darren? All right. Uh, well, got a lot of stuff here. When we look at uh, different tillage types, Brandon from Mexico said, uh, we don't have a very good water system in my area, and I'm wondering, we've been doing some no-till stuff. Would doing strip tillage be better for us? We've got high amounts of humus in the soil and uh, no no potential here for surface irrigation. So he's asking if strip till will be better than what? No-till. Just because of the fertilizer placement? Yeah, fertilizer placement. You know, if you don't have water um, to get the fertilizer down through the okay. soil, okay. well, would that be a better deal? All right. Well, let's put it this way. It depends on how, did he say how he's putting the fertilizer on now? No. Nope. broadcasting? Putting, just, okay. It just says no-till. Okay. So I'm assuming okay. that means, well, in most no-till situations, it's two-by-two two type placement or it's broadcast on top of the ground. Right. But the thing is, we don't know. So is strip-till better than the two-by-two two placement with the planter? It's a little bit better. It, it, in a low rainfall in type of environment is it but when we compare strip till to broadcast the strip till is a lot better in a low rainfall type environment with no tillage here's the reason why the two reasons number one is with broadcast fertilizer it's not going to get down into the soil very quickly especially with the immobile soil nutrients like phosphorus copper and zinc they're just not going to move well at all so it could be years before you're able to use most of that fertilizer you apply. The other thing is when you don't have a lot of moisture, then your plant needs a higher concentration of nutrients that it brings in with the moisture. Well, when you place it with strip-till versus broadcast, then you're, you've got a concentrated band and you should be able to bring more in and you have more concentration in every drop of water. So anyway, yes, it'd be good versus broadcast. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, 
seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Got a compost sample here. Uh, it says compost manure and soil samples, but I got one attachment and it's just the compost. So uh, Randy from Montana, if you want to send in the soil samples, we'd look at those too. Uh, first question he has, he has two questions. How much organic nitrogen and compost will convert to be plant available for next year? He said, we've spread composted manure at eight and a half tons per acre, tilled it in for next year's spring wheat and malt barley crops. We attached the results and we're just wondering how much nitrogen we can expect to be plant available next year. We've heard that almost none of the nitrogen would be available. Wanted to get your opinion. And if you saw any red flags on the compost we've got, we're in western Montana with light soil, lots of natural lime, 8 to 8.5 pH growing alfalfa and small grains. Oh, and soil organic matter, 2 to 2.5%. Okay, so first of all, with compost, it's a little bit, it, it takes longer for that to break down than manure. So when we talk about manure, most of the time when, and on this sample here, it's got organic nitrogen, ammonium nitrogen, nitrate nitrogen. The ammonium and the nitrate nitrogen, it's mostly available year one. But the organic nitrogen that's in manure, like we get dairy, a fair amount of dairy manure on our farm, we figure roughly half of that's available year one. With compost, it's even less. The estimates are 10% to 30%. Here are the two factors that we're looking at. Number one is heat. Number two is moisture. Well, you're in Montana, so you're cold. You're in Montana, so you're dry, I believe. I don't know what your rainfall is in your area. But I'm just saying when you're cold and you're dry, then you aren't going to break down compost or manure or anything as quickly as somebody in the southern United States would be, for example. So 
anyway, I'd just say, um, yeah, I wouldn't count on a lot. Now, I'll give you the story even with manure. So back years ago, well, we, so growing up, we had manure from hogs and cattle on our farm. And our dad was a pretty big believer in saying this. He said, look, eventually the nutrients are going to come available. But I'm not counting on hardly anything year one for nitrogen because I've been burned before. Keep in mind, we farm in South Dakota, which is colder than most areas of the United States. And in some years, it's ridiculously dry. So it goes back to this cold, dry thing that I was talking about. We don't know what the weather is going to be. That's why everybody's going to give you a range. So our... Our, our dad was really conservative. He was also into banking and stuff. And, and, you know, he's really good on the financial side and risk management and all that kind of thing. So he was always really hedging his bets. So I'm just saying, like, for him, what would he figure? Probably 10%. <laughs> Realistically, I hope it's more. I hope it's 20 or, or more. But, yeah, you can't count on a lot year one. So, unfortunately, you're going to have to go probably buy some high-priced nitrogen to feed your crop. All right. Then uh, the other thing you said, they, they haven't done a good job on soil sampling, so they want to get after it and are just wondering, what kind of phosphorus test would you run if you had high pH and a high level of free calcium in the soil? Would they run an Olsen phosphorus test, or would you have better luck with a malic or something else? Yeah, if you've got high pH, then I, the Olsen's probably the most accurate, most reliable. The number isn't going to be high. Because phosphorus isn't super available when you start getting up over 8 pH. But, uh, but that's, that, that's kind of where we're at. Um, oh, Darren, one other question he asked about on that compost. It, was there anything that looked alarming on here that I saw? Not really, no. Uh, what, what we're always concerned about, whether it's compost or manure, is salt and sodium. So how much salt and how much sodium do you have? And so this is one of the things where... I look at this and it says, uh, it looks like 14, well, I'm not even sure what the, what the unit of measure is here or anything. So sorry, I, 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 I can't give you a super quick answer, but I would say you can talk to whatever lab you have a test run at and just say, all right, tell me how much salt I have for every ton I want to apply. And it looks to me here like it's 14 pounds, but Tell me how much salt I have and tell me how much you feel I can put on safely. And then for me, I'm always going to cut that to be extra safe. Because again, when we're in a dry area, we just have to be more concerned about nutrient toxicity, especially with salts. Salt and dry weather, those two, that combination there is not good for any crop. So we always want to be careful about how much manure and how much compost we're applying because of salt and to some degree sodium as well. The sodium is more of a long-term thing. I'm not that worried about it in the short term, but I am concerned about the buildup in the long term if we don't have good drainage and or we don't use the sodium and the level continues to go higher. In Montana, we do have a lot of sodic soils, and we have a fair amount of saline soils as well. So I am concerned about the sodium and the salt levels, but without seeing your soil test, it's hard for me to tell you if I'm like super concerned. Just looking at this, I'd say no, nothing really raises a red flag, but I'd want to see the soil test as well. All right, thanks for the questions. Uh, another compost question, this one came from NK, who said, uh, just 
was wondering about the or I saw your content on manure versus compost. I'm wondering, could you possibly use the manure first to generate energy by means of anaerobic digestion, for example, and then compost what's left afterwards? You know, a lot of times, uh, NK, a lot of times we are using um, byproducts and composting them so that sounds like that would be a possibility that you could use the manure for one thing and then compost whatever is left. Uh, I'm not sure about that, to be honest with you. But Wait, wait, wait. What are you not sure about? Uh, well, what? about what specific manure it is, what specific process it's going to go through to generate energy, and yeah, then but, what that product's going to be left with. And if you could compost that, I, I would right. think that but you probably if you, could. But if you break it down to as simple as, can I use manure? Yes. Can I compost whatever is sitting around that is is some type of manure or byproduct? Most likely, yes, you can. So the answer should be yes and yes, but we don't know. We, we don't have a lot of details there. Yeah, we I don't agree. know all the specifics. Yeah. But thanks for the feedback um, and the question. Got this one from Tom. He said, if you were looking at wheat straw, how do you test the wheat straw for nutrients? Well, you just get, grab a representative sample of the wheat straw and send it into a testing lab for nutritional analysis. And you can talk to the specific lab that would be in your area, so whether that would be a state university lab or a private lab like Midwest Labs down in Omaha, uh, just send them a representative sample and just have to check with the lab how big a sample they're going to need. But, yeah, they can they can get it tested and it should get your results within a week or two and you know what you've got for nutrients left in, in the material. I uh, get this uh, comment here from Brian, who said, you guys are talking about spray tank clean-out. Uh, just a reminder, that's also a great time to check nozzles and screens. Absolutely, Brian. you got to make sure you're cleaning all those things. So as you're taking things apart and cleaning them, really good time to take a look at those, make sure they're in good repair. And if you're going to do some replacement, that would be an awesome time to get that done. Okay, I got this question from Dane. He said, I wonder if you guys could hit on the subject of carbon credits. There's a lot of talk going on. Wanted to gather your overall thoughts on this subject. Yeah, we only have a couple minutes left in the show today, so I'll give you the very quick summary. There are a lot of people polluting on the earth today, and they don't want to change their, their plans a whole lot on what they're doing. And so they feel better about themselves by paying money for somebody else to store carbon in effect for them, and that's really what a carbon credit is. I'm polluting, I'm not saying me personally, but I'm polluting or the company or the person, whatever, and because of that, I want to have somebody offset my pollution. So I, wh whether you believe in that or not doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is people are willing to pay farmers for carbon credits because we can build soil organic matter, which in effect is storing carbon down in the ground. I'd also say, though, when you look at long term, you compare wind power, battery power, or solar power, none of those power sources can get below zero on the carbon index scale. It's impossible. We can with biofuels. So you stop and think about it and you're like, now wait a second, if all these big companies and all these countries want to spend a whole bunch of money on carbon credits, um, and we know the planet's growing, people need more energy and stuff, you go, hmm, these carbon credits could be worth a lot in the future. And maybe the not too distant future either. So we're, we're on board with the carbon credit stuff because basically you're going to have to build your soil organic matter. Well, that's great for your soil and you're going to get paid for it. Awesome. Just don't sell yourself out for cheap and don't lock something in for 10 years, for example, too cheap. So if you want to go a year at a time, I, I mean, that would be our, our recommendation. But 
you know, it's hard to say. It's just a very beginning industry. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.